It's not grace or truth. In fact, or isn't even an option because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, we're kicking off a new series today called Hold It Together, where we're talking about these tensions that we deal with in the life of faith, that often God will say one thing that's true over here and another thing that's true over here, and these truths appear to be contradictory, and yet our call as followers of Jesus isn't to pick one or the other, it's actually to hold them both in tension. And so we're gonna be dealing with these tensions of the faith that we wrestle with, things like, okay, God is good and strong, but life also really hurts and there's a lot of suffering in the world. How do I deal with that? Tensions like Christ and culture, like when and how are we called to engage with the world around us as salt and light in a godless culture? And we're gonna be dealing with tensions of trusting and trying, that God says what he wants from us is faith, and yet faith without works is dead. So how do we think through that as Christians? And today we're kicking off this series by talking about the tension between grace and truth. Now, each one of these sermons is gonna be a tag team sermon. It's gonna be me and a guest and we're gonna be sitting down at a table and it's gonna feel a little bit more conversational than just Luke standing up and lecturing uh, at you. So that's a, that's a good thing. And we have a special guest with us today that I'll introduce here in a few moments. But first, I wanna just lay this foundation of grace and truth because on the one hand over here, we have grace and we like grace, don't we? Like grace is unique to our faith. Grace is what makes our faith distinct from any other faith. Grace is what makes us different from the world because we are living in a graceless world. The world will tell you, you gotta do good to get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And so, so we live in a cancel culture where if they dig out any of the sins of your past, you might as well just kiss your reputation goodbye forever. But grace is a different kind of story. Grace has been historically defined as unmerited favor which means that you get a good thing that you did not deserve. Grace means that you didn't eat your dinner, but you still got dessert, amen? And I'm glad my kids aren't hearing me say this, right? Like you didn't eat your dinner, but you still get dessert. That's grace, and Jesus was full of grace. Jesus was so full of grace that the most wretched people in society still loved being around Jesus. Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and he touched lepers, people that nobody else would touch and people that didn't feel loved anywhere else felt loved around Jesus. They wanted to be with him because he was full of grace. And when Jesus described grace, he would tell stories or use metaphors. He'd say, you know, grace... Grace is like a son that ruined his father's name and ran away and squandered all of his father's wealth, but then decided he'd try to go back home. And when he comes back home, his dad runs out to meet him, not to shun him, not to kick him out, but to put a ring on his finger and a cloak on his shoulders and to throw a party and say, welcome home. That's grace, Jesus says. And grace is how you and I have been saved. One of the early followers of Jesus, a guy named Paul, says in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Jesus is full of grace. John chapter one says that out of his fullness, 
we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That means that Jesus is so full of grace. It's just like bubbling over from him onto us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Like the waves on the seashore that just keep coming and they never stop. Grace as followers of Jesus becomes the background music of our lives. Romans chapter five, verse 20 says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So imagine right now the worst thing you've ever done. Imagine all the bad things you've ever done, all the bad things you're ever gonna do. Imagine the worst crimes committed in human history, the worst atrocities imaginable, and put them on a scale, and God's grace still outweighs it. There is more grace in God than there is sin in people. Jesus is full of grace. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Thank you. Now, on the other hand, We have truth, and truth could be defined as something that conforms to reality. Truth is faithful to a standard. Now, we know that God is that standard. Romans chapter three says, let God be true and every man a liar. And because Jesus is God, we know that Jesus is also full of truth. In fact, he is the truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Titus chapter one says, God does not lie. Truth then is whatever is in line with God's character. And truth is God's desire for us. The apostle John says in third John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Man, that's my desire for me. That's my desire for my kids. That's my desire for this church. I want us to walk in the truth. And truth is so important that untruth, is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. Think about it. When the devil wanted to lead the whole world astray, he didn't hit Eve with a stick. He hit her with a lie. He said, did did God really say? And just like that, trust went out the door and truth went with it. Jesus said of the devil in John chapter eight that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. But when we follow Jesus, he says in that same chapter that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is full of truth. So Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of truth. Now we've got this whole grace and truth thing, but I think if we're honest, if we got these two things over here, each of us fall more naturally on one side or the other. Like just based on our personality, if you examine your own tendencies, you are probably more naturally either a grace person or a truth person. Now over here, we've got grace people. And and grace people, they value being loved. And and grace people, they they cut folks a lot of slack. Grace people are easygoing, they're accepting, they're welcoming, they're hospitable, they are tolerant, they're fun to be around. Grace people don't ruffle feathers, they're nice. But on the flip side, Grace people can sometimes also be cowardly and grace people sometimes can focus so much on accepting people for who they are that they never challenge people to become who they should be. Now over here, we've got truth people and truth people value being correct. They have principles, they have convictions, they set standards, they fight against injustice and temptation and falsehood. We admire truth people. Truth people can be articulate, they can be bold, they can be smart, but truth people can also be quick to judge 
and they can be slow to forgive and slow to listen. They can be bulldogs. Sometimes they're just not likable. (laughs) And so both truth by itself and grace by itself are equally dangerous. If all we preach is grace, that's universalism. If all we preach is truth, that's legalism. Grace without truth is soft. Truth without grace is sharp. Thankfully, though, we don't have to choose between these two options. It's not grace or truth. In fact, or isn't even an option because Jesus is full of grace and truth. John chapter one, verse 14 says this. It says, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Not 50% of either, but 100% of both. All grace, all truth, all the time. It's like a rubber band, right? Think about a rubber band. With a rubber band, it really only does what it was designed to do when there's tension on it. You gotta hold on to both sides of the rubber band in order for it to function properly and serve its intended purpose. And if you lose the tension, like if you let go of either side of the rubber band, not only does it fail to do what it was made to do, but people get hurt. So we gotta hold grace and truth in tension. The health is in the tension. In fact, the name for the tension between grace and truth is love. The name for the tension between grace and truth is love. Now, it's pretty easy to talk about loving people with grace and truth in theory. As long as we keep this discussion theoretical, we can keep it pretty clean. We can walk out of here feeling good about ourselves, right? (laughs) It's way harder to do in real life because relationships get messy. And so we don't just wanna talk about grace and truth here together today. We wanna have an opportunity to practice grace and truth together today. And so we're going to get to hear a story of grace and truth from my friend Heather Scriba. Now, uh, Heather spent a significant portion of her life in the LGBTQ community. Her faith journey is a really powerful story. Heather is a good friend of mine, and she is a wise and godly, insightful, passionate follower of Jesus. And I just want you to know that personally, God has used Heather and her story time and time and time and time again to speak to me. And I'm confident that if you will have ears to hear this morning and a heart willing to obey, that God will speak to you as well. But before I invite Heather to join me up here, I wanna just ask the question that maybe you're asking in your head right now. Why are we talking about this in church? Like, why, why are we talking about issues of gender and sexuality in church? Well, before we begin, I do want you to know that we as a church are not aligned with any particular political party or cultural ideology. That's, that's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because this is one of the core issues of our time. These are the waters that our kids are swimming in. We can't run from it. It's there when you turn on the TV or you log on the internet or you drive down the street. It's there. And so we have to learn how to engage this issue well as followers of Jesus, how to think about it well, how to talk about it well, how to love people well with the grace of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. That's why we're doing this. So um, I also want you to know that we're not singling out any particular sin today. 
We're not singling out anybody as anybody worse than anybody else. In fact, a lot of what we're talking about today, the principles that we're discussing, can be applied to every person in any particular issue or especially any tough topic that we wrestle with in the Christian life. But in light of this particular topic today, I wanna lay a foundation of truth so that we can be a house of grace, okay? I wanna lay a foundation of truth so that we can be a house of grace. And here's the foundation of truth. We believe the truth about gender. That in the very beginning, God created them male and female, and that is how he has created them ever since. We believe the truth about marriage, that God designed for marriage to be a lifelong covenant union between one man and one woman. We believe the truth about sex, that sex is not bad or gross or shameful or wicked, that sex is a good gift from God meant for pleasure and for bonding and for bringing children into the world, that sex is a sacred and powerful thing that is often used by God when used in its given context of marriage and only marriage. We also, though, believe the truth about sin, that all sin destroys, but the Bible does say that there's a uniquely painful way that sexual sin can destroy. That sex is like a fire, that fires are really good and powerful and useful thing and it warms your house when it's in your fireplace in its given context. But that if that fire gets out of the fireplace, it can burn your house down in a hurry. And it's also important to remember that every single person in this room today has experienced some kind of sexual brokenness. There is not an unscarred person in the house today. Which is why, praise God, we don't just believe the truth about gender and marriage and sex and sin. We also believe the truth about redemption. That no matter what you have done or what you have felt or what has been done to you, There's forgiveness and healing and life and transformation and wholeness available for you in Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of truth that we build everything on. From there, we're gonna build a house of grace because this is not just an issue that we're talking about that's going on out there. These are issues that are going on in here. We have members of our church family whom we love that you see on a weekly basis who are dealing with things like same-sex attraction, And if that's you today, I want you to know we're glad you're here. We're so thankful that you're here. We love you and we wanna walk with you to Jesus just like we wanna walk with everybody to Jesus. And we've got people in our church family who deal with things like gender dysphoria and they wrestle because their external biological sex just doesn't match up with their internal perceptions of themselves. And if that is your story and your journey today, I want you to know that I cannot imagine the kind of pain and confusion and loneliness that that would bring, but I'm so glad you're here. And we love you and we wanna know you and we wanna walk with you to Jesus just like we wanna walk with everybody to Jesus. So without further ado, would you welcome my friend Heather Scriba to the stage, please. Well, Heather, um, most people here haven't gotten the chance to get to know you quite the way I've gotten to get to know you yet. So um, would you just kick things off here by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, your story, and the beginnings of your faith journey? 
Um, so I grew up in a small town in northern Michigan where everybody knew everything about everyone. <laughs> and my parents divorced in second grade, which my faith journey started when I was young. But with the going to a Methodist church with my mom and Catholic church with my dad, it set up the foundation to be confusing at best. Mm. Um, I would hear conflicting messages or even just slightly different messages about things like salvation, who God is, God's love, and things that are significant in building a strong foundation in faith. And then on top of that, the family dynam dynamics that I grew up with were a struggle at best. <laughs> um, I, my dad was emotionally and verbally abusive and at times physically abusive, and my mom was emotionally absent. And just due to the dynamics of their marriage too, I felt like I was constantly walking on eggshells around them and just waiting, tiptoeing around their anger and unpredictability. Um, and it led me to really withdraw into myself because that's where I could find the, the biggest sense of safety because that's where I could control as much as I could if I kept everything inside. Um, and then on top of that, my dad had very narrow views of what gender and sexuality, how, how they mm. should look, how, how women should be. Um, he, always, he would believe that women should wear dresses, have long hair, like makeup, like to dance. And I wore camouflage, played with my brother's G.I. Joes, beat up his friends. So <laughs> we just had very conflicting, my experience was very different than his expectation. Yeah. And that caused a lot of tension in our relationship. When we would hit these points of disagreement about how I was acting or um, how I was dressing or whatever it was, he would say that he always wished he had a daddy's girl as a daughter. Mm. And what that internalized in my, how that internalized in my heart was I wasn't the daughter he wanted. Mm. Uh, my version of femininity brought him pain. I was hard to be around, um, and somehow I was defective. Like, I, I missed the mark significantly, and that was causing distress to the people around me. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine how hard that is. You know, for all of us, our families of origin just shape so much of how we view the world and how we view ourselves, even if you have a healthy family, but especially if those are relationships fraught with confusion and pain, we tend to project those really painful, confusing aspects of those relationships onto our relationship with God. So you've got this confusing picture of who God is and what he wants, and then this confusing picture of who you're supposed to be on top of all that. That's a hard way to grow up in a really formative season. Where does that lead you? What, what happens from there? It led me to develop um, a really deep sense of anxiety and self-hatred and insecurity. Um, I had such a hard, I was so insecure that I didn't, I wasn't okay being alone because then I was alone with all of my insecurity, hmm. but I was too insecure to be in relationship with other people well. And so if I was around people, I still felt alone. If I was by myself, I felt alone. And I began projecting a lot of these, um, I was just mad at God, honestly. Um, mm. I was mad that he allowed me to grow up in the situation that I grew up in. I thought he didn't care. Um, I had no evidence to believe that he was anything but a hypocrite and just giving me the short end of the stick. Wow, that's incredibly difficult. So you grow up, you're, you're disillusioned with God. That's easily understandable how you would arrive at that place. And then as you're growing up, we all come to periods of independence where we get to make some of our own choices. And so what happens then? That time for me was going to college in fall of 2012. Um, and when I went to school, I was going to a large university where really anything was possible. Um, and so I had every intention of leaving the Christian faith behind. This is my chance for a fresh start. No one knew any of my junk and I could really 
have a chance to be the person that wasn't connected to all of this suffering, all of this trauma, all of this pain. Um, and so I had every intention of just leaving it all behind. Hmm. However, God had different plans. Um, the first day of classes, there was a campus ministry that was handing out uh, discount cards, and all you had to do was fill out a survey. And I was like, suckers, I'm just going to take, take the discount card, fill out the survey, and never talk to you guys again. <laughs> but they were very persistent because I, I answered the survey with a lot of maybes, and that was enough for them to grasp onto and begin reaching out and inviting me to be part of what they were doing. And so they invited me to Bible study. It was every week for six or so weeks. And I finally ran out of excuses for why I couldn't go. Um, and I ended up going to um, a all-campus gathering, which is really a space for all of the small groups on campus to come together, worship together, hear a message, and just be in relationship and get to know each other. Um, and the message that night was the music of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And the premise of it was that if we are dancing but we don't hear music, it's exhausting, it's awkward, don't really know why we're doing it. But if there is music and we are moving in rhythm with that music, it's actually life-giving, it's joyful, it's something that we want to invite other people into. And this was a, a, an image of a relationship with Jesus that I had never heard before. Um, and it gave me this hunger for something like that. I was like, this is so much different than the image of God that I had growing up. Like, this is something that I will follow and give my life to. Um, and so, follow my freshman year of college, I put my faith in Jesus and decided that um, I was going to follow him and do my best to, um, to be obedient and faithful to the things that he asked for us. Cool. So, you got bribed and nagged into Christian community. Cool. <laughs> We're not above doing that, for the record. It <laughs> works really well, apparently. And... Uh, <laughs> So you're in this thing, you're kind of like circling back to faith, but like, all right, we're gonna give this thing another whirl, and you start to ask the questions that we all ask as we're, we're on the front end of our faith journey. Tell us what that's like. I really began digging into a lot of the apologetic questions. So why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Dinosaurs and Jesus, do those, can those things be real at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that processing, I realized that those intellectual head-level questions were, um, were barriers to deeper questions that were blockading me from being truly honest with Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and at that same time, I was taking a women's studies class, which gave me a lot of vocabulary for things that I experienced that I didn't know other people experienced and had never really talked about. Um, so the, all of the relationships with other women or friends growing up that I idolized, it's like, oh, I had feelings for them. Hmm. There are other people who experience this. I'm not alone. This is actually normal. I'm not a freak. Um, and so as I was asking these really head-level questions and getting vocabulary for these heart-level things, I really got stuck on LGBT issues in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, I, my perspective was that a loving God saying two people loving each other, saying that's bad or wrong, like that didn't make sense to me. It's the 21st century. God, you made the rules. Sounds like it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. If anybody can change them, it's you. Mm -hmm. So I really had a hard time and I got stuck because I had personal stake in the game. Mm. So you're doing what we want everybody to do. You're like wrestling through questions of faith alongside other Jesus followers. You're asking these big picture, like theoretical, theological questions and you realize they're not just abstract anymore. They're, they're deeply personal. So you're trying to wrestle through this with other people. How's that go? The community that I had become part of 
they were great with wrestling through the theological side of it, but once it became a personal, my life choices, my behavior, the things that I am going, potentially going to do with my life, once those were taken, once those were affected by the things that I was processing through, they really didn't know what to do with it. And not out of unwillingness, it was more so a deer in the headlights moment of they just had no idea how to navigate this conversation with anybody. Yeah. They didn't know anybody who was wrestling through the things that I was wrestling through. They had never been in conversation with someone about it and it was just a strictly, it was strictly a theoretical conversation for them. Mm-hmm. So that was all that they could offer me. They didn't have anything else that they could to give me. Yeah, okay, so you found this community that they know the truth and they're clinging to the truth here. They just don't quite know what the embrace of grace looks like in the messiness of, of your story. And so you're not feeling safe in that moment. Where does that take you? Naturally not feeling safe with them led me to seek out other safe spaces where mm-hmm. I could continue these, this processing and these conversations. And so I developed some pretty close relationships with non-Christians um, at school as well. And that's really where I turned with a lot of this processing. And their response was significantly different. They made space for me to just ask questions and they were much more accepting and unafraid of the things that I was bringing to the table. And they were okay with sitting with me through not knowing what was gonna happen. They were okay with really with whatever outcome and that took a lot of the pressure off of that conversation. They were able to be just radically accepting of where I was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so push pause on this for just a minute because I think probably a lot of us are wrestling with what I'm wrestling with right now. And if I could oversimplify this a little, you've got this community over here of Jesus followers who love the truth but don't understand 100% what grace looks like. And then you've got this community over here of people who don't follow Jesus. And so they are loving you and they're welcoming you and embracing you with grace and acceptance, but they don't quite know how to ask the hard truth questions that you're needing to hear even if you don't want them to hear right then. So for a lot of us in the room who are feeling like, well, man, I don't know how I would handle that if somebody came to me, help us. We wanna be a place of grace and truth here. What did you need in that moment or what advice would you give us? Looking back, I think what would have been really helpful was and what was helpful down the road was finding Christian community that was comfortable with the discomfort of the I don't know. Mm. There's so much pressure to have a very quick answer, um, but often things, things, we oversimplify things and over-spiritualize things by doing that, mm-hmm. whereas really God was much more invested in the process than I had any idea. And so being able to just sit in the discomfort and make space to be in process goes a really long way. Yeah, okay, that's really helpful. So you find this community over here, truth, this community over here, grace, and people gravitate toward where they're loved, right? And you feel loved over here. So you're gravitating in this direction by these people. Where does that take you? Well, at that time, I was starting to really develop some pretty significant and severe anxiety and depression. Um, I was, it was to the point where I was calling into work multiple times a week. Um, I wasn't showing up to class. It was really affecting the day-to-day parts of my life. I wasn't taking joy in the things that I used to take joy in. Mm-hmm. Um, and even being on antidepressants and things like that, like, it wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. And as I continued to open up to, and just process and work on that heart level healing, I also was becoming aware of a lot of harms that I had caused towards others and resentments that still were lodged in my heart. Mm. And I realized that not only did I resent God for his outline and and, um, his 
design for marriage and sexuality, I also really resented him for making me a woman. Hmm. I felt like he had somehow um, shortchanged me on life. I just, it felt like I, there was a, he, he was withholding something from me or holding back giving me his best by making me a woman. Hmm. Okay, so at this point, you're resenting God. You're feeling like, I'm wrestling with these questions and this isn't the answer. I'm dealing with all this pain and this brokenness in my life. Where did you, where did you go to for an answer with all that? Yeah, well, some of the advice that I was given by uh, my non-Christian friends was really, it's the 21st century. You can choose the path that you wanna take and you're suffering so much, we don't wanna see you suffer anymore. So the uh, summer before my senior year of college, I came out as gay. And that was a re- about half of the relief that I needed. Um, but I was able to even, even with that, I was able to start showing up to life a little bit more. Um, but that wasn't the full picture and the harms and re- or the resentments that I was beca- becoming aware of, I was like, maybe there's more to this. And so see, my, fall of my senior year of college, I decided that I was gonna introduce myself as Jamie in my um, classes. If I never saw these people again, be four months, like I can deal with that. Yeah. But if it does help, then I wanna, I, I wanna find relief somehow. Um, and as I began to introduce myself and just really shift my identity towards um, that of a trans guy, I, the relief that I felt was almost immediate. Wow. Um, even the people in my life at the time told me that the, they could see parts of my personality come out that they had, hadn't seen in a long time or had never seen before. I was more joyful, more playful, more outgoing. Um, I was just way more comfortable with who I am as a person. And I was able to look in the mirror and actually begin to enjoy the person that I was seeing. I didn't cringe when I thought of Heather anymore, but I could actually say, like, that Jamie person, like, I kind of like him. Wow, okay, so you're starting this process of transitioning, and at this point, it's mostly just a social thing. It hasn't gone to the hormonal or surgical level yet, but you're starting the process of transitioning to Jamie, and, and it's good, like you're feeling good. It's bringing the relief that you had sought after and longed for for so long. Tell me, where's your faith at with, with this whole point? Like, resenting God, are you like, God, I'm done with you, or, or what, what's your faith like in this whole process? I think transitioning helped ease the resentment towards God because it, I was actually experiencing some sort of relief from the, from the pain that, and suffering that I had been feeling. And so I never, I never stopped believing in Jesus and wanting to obey him, but on a, on a surface level, I was praying, God, if this isn't what you want for me, close doors. Hmm. And then years later, though, I realized that on a heart level, I was praying, God, please don't intervene. This is the first time that I've ever felt relief. The church didn't have anything better to offer. This is the only solution that has ever been presented to me that has been somewhat effective. I'm not ready to let go of that yet. And so as I was making doctor's appointments to get on hormones, what should have taken months took about six weeks. And I... To me, that was God not closing doors. And I was thinking, okay, this is good. I'm, the, the symptoms are decreasing in severity. I'm, God is still keeping doors open. Like, I'm gonna roll with this. This is the best that I felt in a really long time. Yeah, okay, so step by step on this journey from coming out to starting the process of transitioning, you're feeling better and better with each step. Where does that take you? How's that process continue? It was really good for a long time. I lived as a trans guy for about two years, and for most of that, I was, I was really feeling the best that I had ever felt. Um, but it wasn't until I started processing through and thinking through having top surgery that I started to feel some uncertainty and some nerves, 
which I wrote off to just, it's a significant permanent life change. Yeah. Everything on hormones besides my voice dropping was temporary, um, but this is the one thing where there's no going back from this moment. So I wrote off the, the anxiety to that um, and just, I pursued having top surgery. I didn't really, I just kind of pushed all of those negative feelings yeah, to the side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember that when I, when I got out of top surgery and I saw my new chest for the first time, I remember having this sinking feeling of, crap, this is not the outcome that I was expecting. This is not the relief that I was expecting. Like, I was looking for soul-level healing, and I pursued it through a physical solution. And so often for trans guys, top surgery is the thing that is promised to make all of your problems go away. And it was just such a disappointment that that was not my immediate reaction. And then I started to feel really isolated because I was like, oh my gosh, this like the, the people that have been championing me and supporting me through all of this, they're gonna think that this wasn't worth their investment and I've already lost my Christian community so I am once again alone. Wow, so a deep, profound disappointment and on top of that, a deep, profound loneliness. That's really, really hard. Um, I was really struck by what she said there because your story is your story. It's different than my story. And so I won't pretend to understand what you're going through. But there's something deeply common to the entire human experience of what you just said that you are looking for soul level satisfaction in surface level solutions. And you're chasing physical solutions for spiritual problems. And like we all do that, right? Like no matter what your thing is, man, that's what, that's what all of us are doing. We have all chased soul level satisfactions in things that were never ever meant to satisfy us. And so the more we run after those things, the more it just leaves us empty and desperate and even more so than we were before. So in your story, you're feeling this emptiness, this, this loneliness, this desperation. Where do you go after that? Where do you run with it? For the, long, for the longest time, my behavior just started to spiral. Um, I developed a really unhealthy relationship with food. I exercised all the time. And I think it was to try to obtain this perfect body that if somehow I can look perfect and have this, this body that I don't hate, that then all of my self-hatred, like I will have finally healed. Hmm. Um, but I noticed that the dysphoria that I felt towards my body began to shift to non-gendered parts. So my arms and my legs, like things that everybody has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I got closer and closer to rock bottom, I realized this is not a hatred of my gender. This is a much, much, much deeper hatred of myself. Yeah, wow, my goodness. So. You're chasing thing after thing after thing after thing, and you're chasing something that slowly you're realizing you're never going to be able to catch it. Rock bottom, where do you go? Well, in my very black and white thinking, I was like, okay, I went to the church, that didn't work. Went to the world, that didn't work. So therefore, the only other option is to go back to the church, <laughs> which, praise God. But yeah. So I, I ended up emailing this church um, in town in, in where my, I went to school, and I was just really honest with them about where I, where I was, how I was doing, and just the situation that I was in. And they were so sweet and welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they were very honest with me about their view of um, gender, sexuality, marriage, and all of those things. But they also were so radically hospitable um, and just mm-hmm. very clear that like we are all on a journey towards Christ-likeness, and you are welcome to join us. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't have any deadline of like, you better get your life together in six months or we're going to have to reconsider. <laughs> yeah. They just let me be part of what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 
Praise God. So they made, they made a place for you at the table, grace and truth. And I, I love this. You said that the elders of the church, they came around you and they said, hey, listen, we're sticking with you because we know we're gonna lose people over this. People aren't gonna like how, how we're dealing with you and, and loving you and welcoming you in, but the kind of people we're gonna lose over this thing are the kind of people who are gonna keep following Jesus and land somewhere else and you won't, so we're sticking with you. Man, I love, praise God for good elders, right, man? I'm, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm, yeah. And that's, that's the kind of elders we have here, and I'm thankful for that. So they're making space for you. You're, you're back in the community of Jesus followers. What's that like? Yeah. I somehow managed to land in the most, in just the perfect life group and, and community. That the, It was exactly what I needed at that time. Um, the people that I was around, they just asked really good questions. It wasn't okay, I need to ask this question so then they say this and then I can snag them into this trap and tell them that they're wrong. It was just (laughs) genuine curiosity of, I wanna get to know your heart. I wanna get to know your pain. I wanna get to know your suffering. Um, I just wanna get to know you and who, who, what God's doing in your life right now. Um, And it was, it just created this space of safety and a very tangible way of God building relational equity with with me again and rebuilding trust. Um, Because quite frankly, he had an uphill battle with everything that I went through growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it gave me space to just be safe and known, and I began opening up and reaching out for prayer requests, and it laid the foundation of safety. So I felt like it was safe to begin asking God, what does it mean to be a biblical man versus a biblical woman? What is masculinity? What is femininity? What's irrelevant that just culture pushes onto us versus what are the, the core components of it that he has designed for us? Um, and throughout all, like around this time too, I had actually applied to law school and I'd gotten a full ride scholarship. And the day that I was supposed to accept or deny the scholarship, um, I, I, well, I had gotten to the point where I was starting to feel like I was recognizing the voice of God again. And so when I was accepting or denying the scholarship, I felt God say to turn it down. I was like, okay, God, like, did you read the fine print? Because this is like, this is a big thing to be turning down and I don't know what what you're going to give me instead. Yeah. But there had been that foundation of trust that he had begun to build again. And so I, I turned it down. Um, and the next day he asked me, why are you settling for your brokenness? And I didn't have a good answer, but it made me realize that by pushing all of this femininity stuff to the corner, I don't have to feel it. I can be numb and not address it. And that's that's what I was doing for the last couple of years, but it's not truly healing from it. Mm. And then he asked another question. Um, he didn't give me a lot of answers at that time, just more <laughs> questions. And he asked, don't you know that I offer wholeness? Mm. And again, I didn't have an answer. Well, the answer was no, but I didn't really respond. I just I asked him to prove it. And so he then asked me if I would go to this women's conference that I had. Uh, I'd found this ministry that, was, uh, that I had been kind of digging into and they had some content on gender and things. And they were putting on this women's conference and I was like, I guess I'll email them too and tell them my situation and kind of outline what's, what's going on in my life. And I was expecting them to say no and to have that be some ammunition that I could hold on to and be like, see God, this isn't working. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna pursue this anymore because this is getting a little, like this is getting hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but they responded with so much kindness and sweetness and just radical hospi- um, hospitality again. Um, they said that 
they're like, absolutely, you can come. You can bring your dear friends. You have community that knows you there. So you can just make space for God to do and, and continue moving in the way that he's moving in your life. <laughs> so God's one-upping you at this point. He's proving it over and over and over again. And you're in it. Like, so women's conference, you're giving a good commercial for our women's conference in a couple of weeks, by the way. We appreciate it. So, so you go to the women's conference. Tell us about that. To sum up the women, like God did so much while I was at the women's conference, but to sum it up, um, there was one talk in particular, it was called Your New Name, and the premise of it is that we take on names and therefore identities based on our woundedness. So mine was defective, hard to love, pain bringer, and during the response time, um, there was an opportunity to wait on God and to receive a new name from Him, and the name that he, He gave me in that response time was Daddy's Girl. The wound that my dad had given me as a kid, like God just flipped it on its head. And I so clearly felt him say that you are your daddy's girl, not in the size of your chest, the length of your hair, the depth of your voice, but you are your daddy's girl because I call you daughter. You have a a seat at the table of femininity because I reserved it for you. Nothing can take it away from you and nothing, you don't do anything to earn that space there. You know, the enemy loves to take those words, whether the words of your own fear inside your mind or your own sin and shame or the words somebody else spoke to you, and he loves to use those lies to shackle you and to keep you from becoming the person that God made you to be. Um, But in case you didn't hear it yet, no matter how big your sin is, God's grace is bigger (laughs) And you don't have to settle for your brokenness. And this may not be your thing. Like gender and sexuality, may not, those may not be the issues you're wrestling with. Whatever your thing is though, whether your life is a chain reaction of sexual dysfunction or whether you're dealing with substance abuse and addiction to tobacco or alcohol or achievement, performance addiction, if you've got difficult relationships or if you're a gossip or you're struggling with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, Jesus is what you need. He is your helper and he is your healer and he offers wholeness and his grace is greater than your sin and the truth is that you are loved by your father in heaven and by his children right here. The path to healing is really long but it starts right there. So Heather, it feels like you and God just kind of had a moment a little bit. <laughs> Where does it go from there? Where does he take you on the journey to wholeness? At that point, I knew that I had to, well, I knew I wanted to, at that point, go back to living as Heather and switching my name and pronouns, but I never felt God ask me to change what I was wearing. Hmm. And it's really easy at that moment to say, victory was won, the behavior changed, all is well. (laughs) But it's really since that moment where the most profound and deep transformation has happened. Hmm. Um, And just through the continuing to address the things in my heart that were coming up, those harms and resentments. And even just, I wrote a letter of amends from Jamie to Heather saying, I'm sorry, I thought I was, I thought what I was doing was coming from a place of love, but I see how it actually has hurt you and harmed you and how it was unfair to treat your body like that. But it was through the kindness, the unpredictable kindness of God that I was able to actually go to those places and have the, have the capacity to actually enter into that pain and enter into those, those parts of my heart that were really, that were wounded and I, that 
up until that point had been too, too scary to address. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said there because all of us would love to be like, all right, ta-da, Jesus fixed it, like a story over, you know? Um, but you're still, your story's still being written and so is mine and we're each still in process becoming who God wants us to be. So for a lot of us in the room, we're hearing you say all of this and whether you're wrestling with these things personally or you got somebody that you know and love that you're wrestling with about this and trying to figure out how to walk alongside them on this journey of transformation, like we feel inside of us the tension right now of the waiting and the patience and how to make space and grace and truth. What would you want to say to us about how to, how to walk this journey of transformation well? If I've learned anything, it's that there is no amount of brokenness that can, like you said, that can outweigh the grace of God. And even, even with anxiety, the Bible says, don't be anxious, but just saying stop it never solved anything. <laughs> like you, that, that, that's not helpful. Yeah. And so it, it was really the learning the kindness and the tenderness of Jesus and seeing how, how broken and, and sad he was that I didn't want to let him into my own wounded heart. Mm-hmm. Like he was grieved over that and he was saddened by it more than anything else. He wanted to enter in and it brings him so much joy when we let him into those places. He's not yeah. disgusted, he's not yeah. disappointed, but he's excited to be able to move in the direction of healing with us. Mm-hmm. And his, he's gentle and he's kind and those things outweigh anything else, any, any shame or, um, or disgust that we feel with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So playing off that then, at the very beginning of this, you, you talked about how you had really confusing views of God just because of how you were wired, how you grew up, all, all those things. And you had confusing views of yourself as, as a result of that. So as you have been on this journey with Jesus, tell us, how's he transforming your view of him? How is he revealing himself to you and redeeming those broken pictures you've had of who he was? It's given me so much of a deeper understanding of his delight in us as his kids. Um, like you can't muscle your way into healing. And it, it's given me, like learning how kind he is and learning how tender he is has given me so much permission to be compassionate towards myself. Like it, it gave me space to really view myself as this like orphaned little girl who really just needed a hug and needed some love. And it's given me permission to just try softer with myself. Mm-hmm because that he is so gentle and he is so, he's just so patient. Um, and as we experience that tenderness in his heart and just sit at his feet and lock eyes with him, everything else falls into place. But learning that sweet intimacy with him is really what truly brings the, the heart level transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I speak for all of us when we say thank you. Would you guys join me in thanking Heather? You know, so much of Heather's story revolves around these core questions of identity. Who am I? Who, who am I becoming? Who has the right to tell me uh, who to be? And really, if you look at any of the cultural issues of our day, be it religion or race or sex or politics or gender, all these things, underneath all of them are these fundamental questions of identity. Who am I? Who am I becoming? Who has the right to tell me who to be? And the reason we look around ourselves and we see people who are just exhausted and trying to find themselves is that they're chasing their identities and things that were never meant to fulfill them. Your sexual desires 
or a really deep part of you, but they were not meant to define you. That's what Jesus does for us. And so just like Heather said, you know, we look around us in the world and we see people who are just spending their lives on this hamster wheel and they are exhausted trying to establish their own identity. It's like they're trying to dance without hearing any music. I love that illustration. But the music of the gospel, the song of the good news of Jesus is that he made you and that he loves you and that he knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you could ever love yourself and that he died for you and that because of that, Jesus is the one who defines you and Jesus is the one who knows what is best for you and every time you and I come to him, he will ask us to lay ourselves down. He always says in Matthew 16, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. But every time Jesus asks you to deny yourself, it's because he knows you, he loves you and he has something better in store. And so wherever you are today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your story is, there's an invitation from Jesus to you and it's this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We have a prayer team that gathers around the edges of the room at the end of every service. They're gonna have their green lanyards on. They'll be there here in a minute. And I want you to know that if you need to come to Jesus for the first time and get off the hamster wheel, and if, you wanna, if you're tired of settling for your brokenness, and you wanna experience the wholeness that only he can give, we would love to walk with you to Jesus today. But also, if you just need some room to wrestle, if you are just wrestling with this, or whether it's personally or whether you're trying to walk alongside somebody else and you wanna know how to do it well with the grace and the truth of Jesus, we'd love to come alongside you in that. And I'd encourage you to talk to our prayer team as well because we wanna continue the conversation with you and we wanna continue the conversation this afternoon as well. Heather is gonna be back with us this afternoon from two to 4.30. We're gonna have a little seminar deal over in the fellowship center in the gym on the other side of the building so you can enter through door three over there from two to 4.30 today. And Heather's gonna be there with me and we're gonna have a Q&A time, a chance for you to get to ask some other questions because there's a whole lot of Heather's story that she wasn't able to share with us today just due to time restraints. And we've got a team of counselors from Care to Change Counseling in Avon that are gonna be with us as well. They do an absolutely amazing job and they're gonna be talking to us just about a lot of these issues that are pervasive in our community and how we walk alongside them with grace and truth with these people that we love. And we're gonna do three breakout sessions this afternoon also. We have a breakout session uh, for parents and grandparents who just wanna know how to lead their families and lead the young people in their lives through this well, how to instill in them the grace and truth of the scriptures. We also have another breakout uh, session for teenagers. Like if you're in school and your friends have fundamentally different faith convictions than you do, but you're trying to learn how to love them well and walk alongside them. We wanna talk with you and walk alongside you as well also. And we're gonna have a third breakout session just with general issues of mental health, whether it's you or somebody that you love who's been dealing with stress or anxiety or depression, harmful thoughts, those words that the devil is using in your mind. We would love to come alongside you for that as well. I hope you'll join us back this afternoon from two to 4.30 to continue the conversation because I don't know if you've picked it up yet, but this whole grace and truth thing is hard. It's not easy. It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's about how do we walk through the gray with the wisdom and the love of Christ himself? Because I don't know if you know this, but every week when you come to church, you sing songs and you hear God's word and you take communion alongside people who are really messed up. You're sitting next to people in this room today who've yelled at their kids this week. Don't look at me. (laughs) 
people in the room today who are deep in financial debt and, and addiction. They got a porn problem. They drink too much. They gossip. They're angry. They've, they've got relationship issues. They're deep in the darkness of depression. They're wrestling with their sexuality. Like, we're a mess, y'all. And there's going to be times in this place when the truth seems too sharp. And there's going to be times when the grace seems too soft because we're not going to get it perfect. But every week, we're gonna keep gathering here together under the place where we saw the perfect fullness of grace meet the perfect fullness of truth in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God revealed the fullness of the truth that our rebellion against him was hideous enough that it demanded a payment in blood. And God revealed the fullness of his grace and that the blood that paid for both of us, all of us, was the blood of his son so that we could be welcomed into his family. Grace and truth It looks like Romans chapter five, verse eight, where Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And my dream for us as a church is that someday somebody would be able to tell a story like that about you. That built on this foundation of truth in this house of grace, that somebody would be able to say, you know, while I was still mad at him, Jared forgave me. And while I was still gay, Susan welcomed me into her home. And while I was still an alcoholic, Martin showed me the love of God. And while I was still lonely, the Smith family had me over for dinner. And while I was still lost, Plainfield Christian Church showed me grace and truth and the love of God himself. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the name of that tension between grace and truth is love. And we love because he first loved us. So if you got the communion elements when you walk in, would you take them out with me? I'm gonna give you a moment to receive this little piece of bread on your own that reminds you of Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross for you and me. And then I'll pray and we'll receive the blood of Christ together. Jesus, I'm a mess. You already know that. We are a mess. And yet you have loved us so lavishly. You have poured out on us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you have given us truth that sets us free. We thank you so much. while we were still in rebellion against you, you died for us and you rose again to new life. And so now we get to spend our lives following you as our King and our Lord. We praise you for that. And God, we refuse to come in here every week and sing our songs and let the world out there go to hell. So God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, nothing less than the love of Christ to take your grace and your truth into a world that is desperately in need of the hope that we have. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. The prayer team is gonna be gathering around the edges of the room. Man, if you wanna talk, we are ready for you. Let's stand to worship our King together.